0: So you get your Bibles ready. John chapter 13. You know it's what's interesting about this whole play that takes place? He said, I thought it was Palm Sunday. You're right, it is Palm Sunday, but we're not on Palm Sunday. We're already ahead of Palm Sunday. Last week we talked about the fact that Christ said that now his, his hour had come to be glorified. And we're seeing that here we're going to see again that, that phrase that not only was he to be glorified, but his hour had come to depart from this world. See, the last conversation you have with a loved one is remembered and to be cherished. Especially after the person's death, you think back, what was the statements the things that they said? This is the case here with the disciples, as Jesus seeks to impart to them, a sense, a really pivotal lesson when it comes to following Him. Jesus is striving to strengthen their faith in light of the challenges they will face with His death. He doesn't want his disciples to walk away. He doesn't want his disciples to mess up. He knew about the tests that they were going to be facing, and he wanted them to be prepared. And so as we dive into God's Word, let's just bow our heads once more in prayer. Father, thanks for the Word of God. We thank you that it is inspired, inerrant, profitable doctrine, for rebuke, for suffering, and righteousness' sake. So bless your Word to our hearts, and may your Holy Spirit guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Now we read in this passage the whole aspect that the significance of this feast, he said, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew uh, the hour had come to depart from the world. To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The significance of this feast is instrumental to understanding the passage. It was Thursday, April the 2nd, A.D. 33. Peter and John had made preparations for the Passover. These preparations would have included the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb, which had been roasted on a spit, so that no bones would have been broken. They're following what was said in Exodus 12.46. And so the Passover which the meal was eaten at the night within the city of Jerusalem is generally really a family supper, which the Father presided over, explaining the meaning of the feast, which again is set back in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Because none of the disciples resided in Jerusalem, they had rented a room, and a large furnished upper room where they were, that was made available to them, and they were gathering together to celebrate the Passover. So on the night before his death, it says Jesus knew his hour, and the Greek word is H-O-R-A, we said hora, uh, that time had come. And Jesus is well aware that not only his hour had come, it was fast approaching. He had faced threats before. But yet, as we said in the early part of the Gospel of John, his, uh, his timing was not yet ready. Now he sits with his disciples looking at them, but he's looking actually towards the cross, knowing what's about to go down and trying to get the disciples In the sense, they comprehend what was really going to happen to him. He knew that suffering he would endure and the sacrifices he must make. He was fully aware of that. He knew the disciples would be scattered, alone, afraid, definitely confused, and doubtful. Uh, Jesus is aware of our time today as well. He knows about our difficult days. He desires to provide comfort and guidance to each one of us through our trials. He is a God who is omniscient, we call it. He knows all things. There's nothing that is happening in your life that He does not know. God will never, ever forsake us, no matter what we're going through. This knowledge prompted Him to display His love for them in a special way. In the upper room, He said, How can I really drive home the message of what am I going to do and what I'm going to be about, how do I drive home this message so the disciples really get what it's all about? And so the phrase, having loved his own, is better translated, he loved them to the uttermost degree. We see verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, among the twelve was one that looked like all the others. He'd walked with them, he'd eaten with them, he'd witnessed the miracles, he'd heard the word, endured the storms, and even carried the purse. He appeared to be a real disciple, but inwardly he was filled with greed, contempt, and wickedness. And Jesus was aware of Judas. He knew he would betray him. See, Jesus sees more than the outward appearance. He always sees the heart so when you go to him in prayer you can put on a facade but he knows your heart and that's why it's imperative that when you and I talk to God in prayer we get real with Jesus and talk about what's really going on John 10:14 says I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me Jesus knows who we are and that we are his He's aware of the condition of every heart that goes on. We might deceive others around us, but we'll never deceive Jesus. He knows us. We see in verse 3, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come from God and was going back to God. So he, again, he knows His our crisis was coming. He is aware of his authority and commission. So God had given him authority to give life and execute judgments. But that was God's plan, and that's why Jesus came. He was born to die for our transgressions. So anybody who wants to make light of sin, you ever want to make light of sin in your own life? Stop and look at the cross. It should change your perspective of what sin is all about. He also knew what was the Father's will. He left heaven and became incarnate to purchase our redemption. He came to be a sacrifice. Why does John describe this to us? Because Jesus at this point was going to take on the lowliest position, that of a slave to wash the feet of men. Fully God, fully man. How am I going to to display my love to my disciples? I'm going to wash their dirty, stinking feet. Now, most of us wouldn't think of that's the way to show love, but it was God. So he had a complete grasp of who He was, that's speaking of Christ and the needs of the disciples, and in, in, in spite of knowing all these things, he says, "I am willing to humble myself to meet the needs of people around me, especially my disciples. Knowing who we are in Christ is fundamental to any ministry we might have. Do you hear that? Knowing who you are in Christ is fundamental to whatever ministry you might have. We see verse 4, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel those was wrapped around him. To grasp the lesson of foot washing, we need to understand what was going on that night beforehand with the disciples. If you go back to the Gospel of Luke, it's going to come up here on the screen. Read these. Here's what's going on. A dispute rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, that the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves for who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You want to be great? Learn to serve. Something that, a lesson that should never, ever go away in our Christian lives. Our lives ought to be characterized by our service to those around us. And so doing, we mimic jesus christ but we think we've got it all and that we should be the ones being served we've got it all wrong we are to be servants jesus had taught that the greatest in the kingdom comes through serving others but apparently the disciples at that point hadn't learned the lesson they were arguing who's the greatest who's the greatest now jesus is going to illustrate this truth for them so in palestine the roads were dusty and dirty The guests would normally wash their feet before a social gathering like Passover. A basin, water, and towels were customarily placed at the entrance of every house so people could wash their feet when they went in. A servant would sometimes normally be on hand to help them in that process. However, the disciples, in the rush to get to the food, that can happen. Totally forgot about it. So rising from supper, Jesus takes off his outer robe and wraps himself with a large towel, that of a servant. He was assuming a servant's task as he dressed for this occasion. He pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Can you imagine the thoughts of the disciples as he goes around washing each one of their feet? They've just been arguing who's the greatest. And they're looking at Jesus, who's now washing. Their feet. They see Christ, the Master, the bread of life, the resurrection, the King of glory, washing their feet. What a lesson in humility. Jesus washed all of their feet. It might not have been difficult to wash John's feet, the disciple whom Jesus loved, but what about Peter? Jesus knew he would deny him. What about Thomas? Jesus knew he would doubt him. What about Judas? Jesus knew he would betray him. Knowing all that, we see a humble servant washing all their feet. No one is left out. And he's not partial into who he washes and who he doesn't wash. See, Jesus doesn't see folks the way we do. He doesn't see worthless addicts an abusive spouse, a convicted felon. He sees every soul in need of salvation, regardless of their background, situation, or how they dress. See, our work for Christ must be consistent without prejudice or favor. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter was expressing something that everybody else was probably thinking, what are you doing washing my feet? You're you're, you're our Lord and Master. See, disciples were expected to serve their masters, not the other way around. Uh, Peter was challenging the process. And Peter said to him, next verse, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you don't have any share with me. He protested what was happening but Jesus' response catches Peter really off guard. What does Jesus mean by this statement, uh, Peter? If you don't go through this, you're not part of me. And watching the disciples, Pete, Jesus was serving. He'd come for that very purpose. John ten, I mean Mark ten forty five says this: For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Peter denied Christ's service. It was, in essence, a rejection of Christ's person. He said, we're to be servants. That's what it's all about. Well, Christ is saying, Peter, if you do not receive any ministry of which this foot washing is a mere token of, then you are rejecting my person and cannot be my disciple. That's a quote by Charles Laney. Sometimes it's easier, though, I find, to serve someone than to be served. Ever been in that book? I remember a time in my life where I was struggling financially. Uh, I was going between two churches, and I was working with John Body Enterprises and homes in Ajax, Mark, and Pickering. High of the 80s, I remember paying eight to $900 a month even to rent a house at that point and just struggling to make ends meet. And there was a guy in the church that was, I was at said, Hey, Pastor, I want to help you out. I said, Okay. But he said, I didn't give, you, I didn't give the money to you. I gave it to your wife. I said, Why is that? Because I think you're too proud to accept it. Oh. Oh because I was not working one job, I was working two jobs, I drove a school bus on the side too. I was, I'm going to work no matter what, I'm going to make it happen. But it was humbling for somebody to say that, I think you're too proud to accept help, so we're going to give it to your wife because when will she'll take it, you won't. Thanks. Ever feel in that same boat? I'd rather work my tail off rather than have somebody else help me. And sometimes the greatest humility can be sometimes is accepting help from people because that's part of the humility too. See, pride sometimes holds us back from accepting all of God's blessings. Do you hear that? Pride keeps us back from accepting God's blessings. Of course, St. Peter, after this response, says, uh, says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet, <laughs> my head. He really didn't understand the significance of what Jesus was doing at this point in his life. Jesus wanted to have a part in what Jesus was doing. He was saying, wash all of me then. I want to be with you. I want to serve you. I want to be part of the team. See, Peter thought that washing was a condition of relationship. But this really wasn't the case. And what the foot washing symbolized, it's what it symbolized. Jesus goes on to explain verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Jesus patiently reminded Peter that one had already bathed needs to only wash certain parts of his body to be completely clean. In the last part of the verse, Jesus elevates the conversation from foot washing to really the, I would call it, spiritual realm. Disciples were clean, a metaphor of purity reflective of the life of faith. Judas was the exception to this clean condition. Verse 11, we read, For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Judas was already in the process of betraying Jesus Christ. He plans to hand over Jesus to the religious authorities. That was going down. And so. A foundational principle of hermeneutics here is this. Do not add to the interpretation when the explanation is given in the text. Don't try to make more of it than what it is. So we see next verse. And when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Obviously, the disciples did not understand. You see, how dense can they be? Well, be careful because... Sometimes I'm pretty dense too when it comes to understanding things. Just ask my wife. (laughs) Apart from Peter's attempt to prevent Jesus from washing his feet, the foot washing took place in embarrassed silence. You can just hear, he's washing everybody's feet and they're like, uh, uh, not knowing what to say. When Jesus resumes his place at the table, he begins to teach them again by asking questions. Good principle of teaching. The question was really rhetorical, says, nobody answered and he asked them as to why he'd washed their feet. Notice what he says, next verse. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. Since Peter recognized Jesus as teacher and Lord, he was unwilling to allow Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus said the disciples were right to regard him as teacher and Lord and that humble act had not changed anything at all. He had adopted a servant role It did not affect the fact that he was their teacher. He was just a different teacher from what they expected. Because most teachers did not humble themselves and wash people's feet. Which says a lot to you and I who profess to be believers in Christ as to how do we live our lives. Do we live our lives as servants or with pride and thinking like, I'm better than the rest? When Jesus said to his disciples that they regard him as Lord, they were correct. He was implying he was more than a person deserving respect. He deserved their obedience as well. Then he proceeds to tell them this, next verse. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The lesson really here is really quite simple. If I, your Lord and teacher, find it not beneath me my dignity to wash your feet, Then it is not below your dignity to do the same for others. Those who follow Christ should be recognized by their servanthood. People see you. Do they recognize you? Because you have a servant's heart. You're willing to serve. The greatest of Jesus' disciples need to be ready to offer humble service to the least of disciples when necessary. Even to people who do not respect you? Yes. Even to people that mistreat you? Yes. Even people that make your life miserable? Yes. To drive home the message, he said this For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Jesus goes on to reinforce the message by saying this Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor messenger greater than the one who sent him. In terms master and messenger. Don't really need any explanation. The word messenger is actually from the Greek word apostolos. In other words, sent one. Sometimes we make a big deal. Oh, you're an apostle? Oh, no. It just means sent one. The point is that if Christ the master serves, how much more should his disciples serve? Rather than seeking the honors due to Christ, disciples should serve with an attitude of humility. You know what I really enjoy? When I talk to people, what's going on in the world I sometimes notice, I was talking to another guy about this. He's talking about some of the, the foreign work projects that take place where there's catastrophic famines, issues throughout all the world. The first people with their boots to the ground, nine times out of ten are Christian organizations who want to lend a helping hand. And this is coming from people that don't know Christ. They're noticing that when it comes to foreign aid and helping people, Christians are the first to jump to the forefront and say, how can we serve? How can we help? I go, amen. But that will be saying same our community too and our neighborhoods where we live. So rather than seeking honors due to Christ, disciples should serve with an attitude of humility. Humility involves a simple recognition that we are only what we are by the grace of God. It's His grace that makes me who I am today. If my preaching and my teaching does not, should never reflect my intelligence or ability, but rather that God is shaping this clay pot for His glory. It's simple. This is verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He said, you've got to practice this, guys. It's great to know the teachings of Christ and about humble service to others, but there's no blessing or happiness when those truths aren't applied. Uh, D.L. Moody said this, the Scriptures were not given for our information, they were given for our transformation. I like the way he put it. So what do we learn from all this? Well, Jesus washing the disciples' feet was a lesson the disciples need to learn, and that was a lesson in humility. See, the disciples were looking uh, at leadership from a secular perspective rather than a biblical one. The secular world looks upon leadership as an opportunity to be served. But no matter where you find yourself, the Christian is to serve God by serving others. I heard a story when I was doing some research on this. and uh, uh, There was a a Moody church in Chicago, and uh, they were looking for who the guest preacher was that was coming in that day. I don't think it was Dale Moody. it was... um, maybe Ward Worsby, and they were looking around, looking, 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 and they found him uh, at the back of the church helping the janitor set up chairs. They said, what are you doing? I said, just help him, man. I want to be here. And they were kind sort of shocked that the, quote, high-profile preacher was actually stacking chairs with the janitor. I thought, cool, I like that. No matter where you find yourself, the Christian is to serve God by serving others there's always an opportunity, folks, to serve. We just have to open our eyes around ourselves in terms of doing that kind of ministry. I'm going to go back to one of the churches I pastored at Calvin Baptist in Leamington, and we really wanted to reach people for Christ, and we found out that the United Church in town was actually feeding people, the homeless and the, and the hungry, and so they were doing it uh, one night a week, and so I said, oh, that's a great idea, and uh, they, I said, hey, I was talking to the United Church minister, how about if... Uh, folks from Calvary Baptist come and we uh, take over the kitchen and we feed the people for one day, for one night. You say, would you do that? I said, yeah, sure, we're happy to do that. So we started as a church feeding f- these folk and we, s- I quickly changed things up real quick. It was kind of fun. And I said, well, first of all, guys, when you finish serving, grab a plate and go sit with the people, find out what's going on in their lives and pray with them. Now you kind of might know what we're doing with our community dinner. But here, here's the unique thing that, that I found that happened. In our church at Calvary, we were praying for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when they, the people that we were praying for, the fam- friends and family, heard that we were serving the needy and the homeless, guess what happened? Can we help? They weren't even coming to church. Can we help? I said, sure. These pastors, they're not saved. I said, I don't care. They can come anyways. They can help. And we had a greater impact on those who we were praying for by serving and by trying to invite them to church, isn't amazing how God uses that when the church starts serving. Leadership is simply a place of service, and enables you to serve as others sometimes cannot. So, how do I apply that? Well, make a commitment to the Lord by beginning to wash feet. You see, you got to be kidding! You no, know, we can put a bullet this at the door there, and you can start washing feet on the way out. No, nah, we're not doing that. You don't have to look for this kind of ministry opportunity. It actually will find you. I think we need to focus attention on things that we've come to expect someone else to do. You walk by, you see something that's not in place. Oh, somebody else will do it. Nah. We're all disciples, dirty, defiled, and unworthy of his mercy and love. Yet Christ humbled himself to cleanse us from sin by humiliation and suffering on a cross. Will you humble yourself and serve him? Have you accepted this washing to yourself personally? Or maybe you like Peter, pushed back, Lord, Lord, no, no. I think we need to humble ourselves by acknowledging our sin and our need of forgiveness and by asking him to cleanse us from all of our sin in our lives. And so doing humble ourselves and realize we need him and far more than we could ever expect. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to our hearts today. Bless us, Father. Encourage us. Help us to grow in our love for you. And Lord, help us to humble ourselves and be a servant. A servant that serves willingly. A servant that serves humbly. A servant that says, I want to be more like my Lord and Savior. And Lord, help us to emulate you in all that we do and say. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.